Welcome to Generating Demand Real Stories from the B2B Trenches, where we tell you our secrets, like how to establish thought leadership, or rock your webinar registrations, and tips and tricks to drive sales-ready leads. Lean in, listen, and learn. We've got you covered. This podcast is brought to you by Virtual Intelligence Briefing. Hi, and welcome to our a new episode of our podcast, Generating Demand, Stories from the B2B Trenches. I'm super excited today to be here with Nicole Fusilier of Matterport. We have a, a really exciting story to share um, in talking with her prior to this. Uh, I can tell you that Nicole is a revenue marketer through and through. She and I share some of the main passions of revenue marketing and demand generation marketing, and I think this is a really special story. So uh, thank you for tuning in. I think you'll enjoy it. Um, Nicole, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself and about your experience at Matterport? Sure. So I'm Nicole Fusilier, and um, I just really am very passionate about revenue marketing and the fact that, you know, I believe revenue marketing is marketing with accountability. We're the, the sales organization's, you know, best friend. And it's also my responsibility within marketing to be fight, fighting for sales at all times. And so instead of, you know, marketing and sales kind of having that relationship that at some companies, you know, there's that kind of that push and pull and it can be challenging. Mm-hmm. You know, in, in my world, it's more around how do I how am I sales best advocate within marketing? And, mm-hmm. and then how do I have that relationship with sales? So that way we're just focusing on how we hit pipeline together. Um, so I really love revenue marketing. And I think there's a different way of doing marketing um, where you can be sales as best friend and have a good relationship. And I think that's our future. Yeah. Tell me tell me about Mattersport. It's, uh, re- it recently went public. Mm-hmm. In fact, this week or last week, right? Like brand new. Yeah. It went public on the 23rd. That's awesome. Congratulations. And I know that what you did uh, at Mattersport had a lot to do with that, you know, going public. Um, Some of the metrics that you shared with me, uh, the state of marketing prior to and after um, is very impressive, I have to say. Um, But tell me, they are a 3D technology company, right? They do uh, spatial 3D imaging, spatial data. Yeah. And uh, as a B2B marketer, they are selling to companies like insurance companies, real estate brokers, um, et cetera. Anybody that might need a 3D digital twin twin of their physical space. And that could include retail stores as well. Um, So how big is the company? How many employees does the company have? We're almost at 300 right now. And when I started, we were just under 200. So it's been growing pretty quickly. Um, But yeah, you you nailed it. It's it's around, you know, having your spatial data and the things that you can do with your data. And I think the pandemic really opened up people's mind to what you can do with having uh, the information around your space, right? And things that you can do that... You know, normally people thought of Matterport as a 3D tour company for for real estate if you're buying and selling homes. But what people didn't really understand until they needed to was around when you have your data of your space, think about when you need to get an insurance or an appraisal done. Think about when you're trying to work with multiple people and they need to have access to your space and they might need dimensions within your space. There's measurement tools that you can actually measure the dimensions within your space, but you don't have to physically be there. Um, and, you know, in a time recently, people couldn't physically come to your space. 
Um, and then think about like how many windows, how many sockets that you have within your home. What if you have to get things repaired? You know, having that data all there in front of you uh, without having to like go around your house and be like, one, two, three, like <laughs> having having that capability right there at your fingertips is, is what Matterport is about. And then over time, think about spatial data. If Matterport is like the Google of Google Maps, but this is about your data, think about if in New York City and you want to know in New York City how many windows there are in New York City. Wow. Matterport would have the ability to tell you that. Just think wow. about the type of data questions that you could ask about, you know, your community that you'll need mm -hmm. to be able to have, you know, and this, it's just, it's pretty cool to think about, you know, spatial data and what, you know, having that information around your space and what that can change. And I think and it, when I, when I say change, I think what type of information it can help you to with, so you can make changes. Yeah. Um, Kind of cool. It's very cool. It is cool. Well, just in my own world, we are uh, doing our custom closet right now. And uh, that's a very small use case, I'm sure, uh, comparatively. But uh, I can I can see it would have saved a couple trips on a couple different people's behalfs to come out and look at the space and figure out all those dimensions and such. Um, so that is very, very cool. Congratulations on the IPO. That's huge. Thanks. Tell me a little bit more about the state of revenue marketing. I know you've been with them for a little over two years now. Um, you, When you joined two years ago, it was a very different department and world. Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, so when I joined Matterport in 2019, uh, the marketing organization was over budget. Uh, we had never made our numbers. We had 200 different ways of doing attribution. Um, our systems weren't set up to actually really show how marketing was how contributing to our bottom line. So when I came in, uh, the first thing that I was focusing on is like, how do we, how can we show what we're doing and how, how are we hitting our targets and where our gaps are? Um, as I mentioned, we were over budget. Um, well, within, within a month of my being there, there was a leadership change. And so for eight months, I was put in charge of marketing, which was, you know, not something that I was expecting, but it was a great opportunity. And honestly, the mindset of a revenue marketing was really important in this case because because we were over budget and because we weren't hitting our numbers, you know, this was really about how do you fix that relationship with marketing and sales and how do you really come up with an approach that you'd be able to hit your numbers. You know, there are times in marketing organizations where you need a brand categorization person. You need somebody that can understand, you know, kind of that how you can get that brand voice. But in this case, Matterport needed somebody who could come in and really help fix how marketing was operating and helping helping the company hit their numbers. So really what I did was really just change all of our KPIs. All of our KPIs became around pipeline, pipeline targets, SQLs. Uh, and by changing the way that we were looking at the work that we were doing to support sales and making it focused on pipeline goals, we immediately started seeing a, a good ROI. You know, for paid media, for example, I cut my paid media budget in half, changed the KPI from an MQL to SQL, and we made more SQLs and more pipeline, you know, within that next quarter. Uh, within one quarter, we were on budget and started hitting our numbers, and we made our numbers six quarters in a row. So it's really about how do you look at operational efficiency that's going to drive pipeline and revenue and stop focusing on MQLs, stop focusing on noise. I can bring in MQLs all day, but if I focus on how I'm going to help sales hit a revenue target and I take a revenue target and I take an attribution to help sales be effective, then you get rid of that old marketing and sales. What are you doing for me type of approach? It's like, no, my job is to help you be successful. So let's agree on what successful looks like. And what I give you, let's measure that what I give you is actually going to help you sell. 
And so that's really was the game changer for marketing and sales, being able to hit our numbers. So Nicole, there was so much meat in there for, especially for maybe a newbie to revenue marketing um, that I want to sort of unpack that because um, it's really a truly powerful story. So let's start it. Let's take it back from the beginning. When you joined you, the company was not just over budget, but I think you said millions over budget. Yeah. We had a million over budget. Yeah. And which is insane to me. I mean, even having a $3 million budget is amazing. (laughs) Not many people, not many marketers can say they have budget authority over, you know, multiple million dollars. Um, So that alone is, but to say that all that was uh, sort of wasted, you know, going over budget shows a definite inefficiency of spend. And then you said the KPIs that you were, that the company was then driving were, I think you said you were reaching, you know, not even 50% of your goals um, spending all this money. So just a truly inefficient funnel. Is that right? Yeah. And that's what I think what's happened is that there was so much focus on how many MQLs. I mean, literally they were focused on how they could get more MQLs into sales. Mm-hmm. Right. And when you operationalize and focus everything on MQLs, what happens is your spend increases because you're just doing, you know, you're just doing programs that drive MQLs and you're not caring mm-hmm. about your customer acquisition costs that actually drives revenue. You're not caring about sales efficiency. All all you're saying when you have an MQL number is I'm going to hit this target of MQLs. And that's kind of what I was saying earlier. I could buy MQLs all day. I could spend Mm -hmm. a lot of money. And I think, you know, it's actually kind of funny, like things that I was hearing before I got there, there were conversations around like, oh, I'm going to bring in more MQLs than you. And I'm like, well, does that really matter? Right? Does it matter? Yeah, exactly. I'm like, well, if you don't convert, who cares? I said, so, you know, for me, it was like really coming in and saying, okay, guys, what's our plan? What's our mm-hmm. target? What's our goals? I mean, they really didn't have revenue target goals. They all had just MQL goals, mm-hmm. but there really wasn't that conversation around, well, do these MQLs actually drive to a number? And mm-hmm. so that was the real change is around, well, can we agree on, if I'm going to be doing paid media, for example, what is the cost of paid media on that SQL that makes it worth it for mm-hmm. Matt for me to be focusing on that spend? And we agreed to a certain price around anything under this customer acquisition cost. It's a good ROI for Matterport, right? So really mm-hmm. knowing what that is. And then the second thing is really understanding, you know, who's your ideal customer profile that you're going after and really mm-hmm. going after that profile and partnering with sales to say, if this is an SQL, what percentage of your SQLs close? You know, and we went, you know, from a you know 25 to 35% conversion of our SQLs to a 54% conversion of our SQLs. That is huge. Because huge. all we focused on was who would buy, like who right. is the right person to go after. And to me, that's why I say revenue marketing is sales accountability. It's yeah. about to help sales close deals. Yeah. And I think I think it's a shift from how marketing used to support sales. I'm not saying that there isn't a, a place for the brand categorization and the awareness work that needs to happen. There absolutely is. But mm-hmm. how I see that is that just opens up our demand funnels. Mm-hmm. You know, like those MQLs come in and then that we should automatically send them over to, to sales organization. I believe what those do is start opening up my funnels so I could be even more targeted. You know, mm-hmm. what's interesting right now is some of the conversations that I have right now is, you know, 
at one point, you know, you could spend millions of paid media money and you can then identify a conversion and like, oh, spend more, spend more, spend more. And you could get and you can see the ROI. And my answer to that is why? Why would I spend more when I know that I'm going to get the best quality out of X? If I spend mm-hmm. more, it's not necessarily going to result into the conversion that you want. And I know there's a lot of, you know, kind of, I would say kind of older school thinking, especially more from a B2C environment. Mm-hmm. Well, then like, well, if you spend X, I know that we're going to be able to get this. And I'm like, well, think of the price point that you have. You know, yeah. it's, it's a, you know, cam- a Pro 2 camera is, you know, is like, you know, two. It ranges anywhere from $2,495 up to $3,000. It's like, and then you add the SaaS plan. We're talking about a $3,000 product. Mm-hmm. You know, a paid media plan to drive a $3,000 product, you, you can't scale that forever. Right. It's not like the SaaS, like if we were just focusing on the SaaS part of it, then sure, you can have kind of a flywheel that's really helping really focus on how do you convert startups or signups. And so I think it's like really more understanding you know, that paid media motion really only works when you've got something that is this lower cost that really provides a value immediately. And when yeah. you're talking about a $3,000 price point, that flywheel needs to change. So yeah. it's, it's just an interesting, it's an interesting approach how, you know, marketing needs to come to the table with data and information around how you're going to be able to hit your numbers. And that's different than what I think most marketing people do today. Yeah. Well, there's something you said in there that uh, really was a um, you know resounding point for me. So when you talked about it, when you first came into the company and uh, the team was had an MQL goal and they were just going after MQLs and like you said, if um, an MQL means nothing, right, unless it converts and. Um, it sounds to me like at that point, the company really did not have alignment to the end goal, which as you say, revenue marketing is about driving revenue, right? And, uh, if there isn't an alignment, and I think sometimes that's a good note for leadership too, because, um, some leaders will just assign the department, you know, here's your MQL goal, hit it, we'll handle the rest. But if you don't add that context of, we're trying to drive this much revenue for the company to hit our company goals. And this is how your MQL number fits into those company goals. Then that context can go so, so far. I know when I, I have a calculator that I have built that calculates like, this is the revenue goal. This is our average deal size. This is our conversion from opportunity to closed one, you know, all the way down to how many uh, MQLs do I need to drive and what's my conversion on that. And of course there's, things you can do to fine tune that tunnel, uh, I'm sorry, that funnel all the way through. Right. Um, but that, you know, it sounds like you walked in, that context was missing and everyone was missing the point. It's not just about driving an MQL number. It's actually about driving the revenue to it. And so and helping the marketing function and department. Yeah. I would even go so far as I don't even care about the MQLs. I mean, I know there's equations in math. Exactly. I'm like, I don't care. Like, because I, I believe in throwing that MQL out the window and just focus on SQLs. Yes, of course, things come in as MQLs. Yeah. I see it as increasing my pipeline, increasing my data, not my pipeline, my database. I see that as growing my database. Exactly. Right. So all MQLs yeah. is increasing my database size, but just measure me on SQLs. Don't measure me on MQLs. Yeah. And I have worked at companies where we've gone so far to measure against marketing contributed mm-hmm. pipeline. 
right? Like you have sales sourced pipeline, marketing sourced pipeline. And I know um, in one of the companies that I've worked for, marketing was driving more than 50% of pipeline and like 70% of closed one um, because the the uh, quality of the buying, you know, the quality of the leads we were driving were people that were our definition required that they were in a buying cycle. Right. Um, and that, and we partnered with sales on that definition and we shook hands and agreed, this is what an MQL means. This is what an SQL means. And this is what, you know, uh, this is when we open an opportunity. And so at that handoff, we all agreed to the definitions, which made for a really strong, uh, relationship there. So, yeah. um, great. I love, I love, I love, and then I don't want it to go unsaid, because you said it very quickly in passing, and I want to really just drive it home. You said, you know, back when you started, Matterport was millions of dollars over budget, not achieving, you know, halfway, you know, 50% of the KPIs uh, to goal of KPIs. Um, and now, six quarters in a row, tell me more about where Matterport is today. Six quarters in a row, marketing has met or exceeded KPIs. Yeah. Our targets. And, and really how we look at that, and um, I really look at, you know, looking at what I've forecasted, it's, to me, this is where looking at what's happening week over week. And, you know, when I think about like every channel, every sales channel that I have has to have a target, has to have a go-to-market plan. I need to be able to see how, do you, how does each of those organizations plan on hitting those goals, mm-hmm. right? And I think, you know, and I, I like that my, my CRO says this, hope isn't a strategy. Yeah, (laughs) having a defined plan and having targets around each one of those activities that you're doing and really being able to measure those week over week, how you're doing. So Mm -hmm. part of the reason why, you know, we're able to keep hitting our numbers is looking every week, the programs and the tactics that we put in place that were part of a strategic plan, how do they actually perform? And so I'm not finding out um, that I'm going to make, I'm not going to make my numbers at the last minute. I should know every week, where am I? And so yeah. having that ability to know where I am, it doesn't become a surprise to anybody. So I can, I can start fixing things immediately. And I think that's where some teams, like they wait until the end of the month or they wait until the end of the quarter, like, oh crud, I'm not going to make my numbers, right? That doesn't work. You have to look at that every week around what you targeted, what you predicted, how is that coming in? And if and predictions change and the world happens around you. And mm-hmm. so being able to adapt and recognize how that means. And, and that might mean one channel is performing better than another. So take advantage of that and shift and shift as those things are changing. Don't just stay flat and say, well, here's my plan. You know, it's yeah. like, like, here's my plan. Then what's actually happening and shifting real time to that. And knowing that you have that flexibility and then ensure that your targets are in a place that you will always exceed your plans. So that Mm -hmm. way you've actually planned in terms of your targets to exceed it. So you have some of that room to learn and to grow. And I think that's, you know, when I I, I think back into when I was younger driving some of the stuff, you know, we were really just focused on like our side of the house and we weren't thinking about how, like you said, how it all came through. And I said, so being able to like have a revenue call every week and really mm-hmm. focus on how are we doing and getting ahead of it mm-hmm. versus, you know, it's more around like I, I you know, I, the agencies that I work with who know me, they know I have more of an aggressive approach, which is I want to be ahead of it. I want to be ahead of it. I don't want anything mm-hmm. to be a surprise. 
I'm ahead of the situation. Mm-hmm. If you start from an offense, you have a much better chance of always being ahead. If you start from a defensive position, you're always behind right. and you're mm-hmm. always trying to catch up. So it's yeah. about being ahead. it's about being ahead and having an offense having an offensive, aggressive approach to what you're going after. Yeah, so. another word for that might be proactive, right? I know yeah. what I um when I was running marketing departments, what I had seen what we did um was we had quarterly planning. And that's new for a lot of companies, be it a startup or an older company that might be growing or scaling. I think there's a couple underlying things there that might not, you know, be uh, obvious, maybe obvious to you and I, but maybe not obvious to others. <clears throat> the quarterly plan is huge. Excuse me. <clears throat> Having the the revenue goals, and now as a public company, you won't be able to get away from that quarterly yep. plan, right? Like you're going to live that quarterly plan, but for other maybe private companies that aren't there yet, the quarterly plan, having a quarterly revenue number and doing that waterfall backwards um, so that marketing has a quarterly KPI. And then I call it progress to goal, reporting on that every week. Yep. And even if that reporting, you know, we were, uh, the company I was with, we, everyone was meeting logged and, you know, I didn't want to have meetings just to say, here's where we are. So we did a confluence page each week and reported our goal and our progress to goal for that week. And then the next week we would just add to the top of that so that anybody in the organization could follow along where we were to goal. Um, And as you say, reporting on it on a weekly basis is so huge because you are reporting progress to goal. You can't wait until the end of the month, right? You have three months and a quarter. If you're looking at at looking at it only twice a quarter, you're you're sunk, right? It's not going to happen. So um, I think that is really valuable advice. Um, And, you know, if, if our audience members lift anything from it, that is a key point um, that I would suggest. Um, It's been so fun talking with you. I could talk with you for hours. I'm a little bit passionate, can you tell? I talk really fast and I get really excited. So I appreciate uh, I appreciate you taking a step back on certain stuff because I just I just love it. I love revenue marketing and I love the relationships that you can build um, with the organization because you're building basically a trust relationship that we're going to be doing in this together. Yeah. And I love being successful, right? I love Mm -hmm. saying, this is my target. I will meet or exceed this target. Mm -hmm. Um, Another thing you mentioned, I call it the bottoms up plan, which is, you know, you have your quarterly KPIs figured out, the the quarterly revenue numbers, waterfall backwards to the quarterly marketing KPIs, your weekly progress to goal. But one of the things you mentioned was your strategic tactics and plan. Again, going back to that quarterly planning, I call that the bottoms up plan. Yep. I once worked with a company, a large company, I won't, I won't mention, um, but the executive team came down like from above and said, marketing, you will hit all these goals. And um, we were like, those goals are crazy. I mean, it's not, it's beyond the BHAG, you know, the big, hairy, audacious goal. It's beyond that. It's like into wishful thinking. Like there's no way that we can build a bottoms up plan to hit that goal. And I think that showed a misalignment between leadership and the the team that actually does the execution. So I think that's something to call out as well of like mm-hmm. having the alignment there, knowing that when you're building that bottoms up plan, you have a couple things to work with. You have the seasonality of the calendar, you know, you might have trade shows or like you said, um, you know, other, other events or seasonality that might be happening in that quarter days off, like the holidays, um, then you have your budget. How much do you have to spend? And then you have your vendor relationships. You mentioned your agencies there. Um, and so that's what I call the bottoms up plan or, or the Tetris game that I love to play. How are we going to fit all these things in? And 
over deliver on our KPI. So it sounds like you guys have that pretty nailed down in order to meet or exceed your goals six quarters in a row. So that is awesome. We'll have to have another episode where you tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah. That would but be you're, huge. You're absolutely right. I think a lot of times, like I said earlier, hope is not a strategy, right? Exactly. And I think without having that bottoms up plan and being able to, and I will tell you sometimes even folks on my team are like, really, we have to go to this much detail. And I'm like, Yes, we do. Actually, yes. <laughs> yes, we do. You know, so I, I know sometimes like I might drive some folks nuts because I'm like that plan, as you just said, helps it helps break down how we're going to hit that higher number, right? And so without having that plan in place, like you can't just do, you can't just focus on the tactics and not know how it all rolls up. Like exactly. so, you have to have it both ways. You can't just have this, you know, huge number that you have to hit and not actually break out how you're going to hit it. And I think sometimes like that's where things get a little bit out of whack because mm -hmm. people aren't doing both of those approaches. They yeah. might be doing one or they might just be, you know, doing one and then halfway doing another. It's like, it won't work. You have to do them both. Yeah. It's really valuable. And if there's any newbie marketers out there, I think that's another point uh, to drive home for our audience. Um, so tell me, Nicole, we are, we are towards the end of our podcast. I, I like to ask all of our guests to share a couple resources that have helped them in their career. You know, we all start from somewhere, mm -hmm. um, in our career and we can't do it alone, right? We're not islands. So, um, any things that you embrace or have helped you along the way to get to, you know, your level of expertise and or your um, level in your career that uh, may be beneficial to others. And I will say that we ask that um, all of our guests that share these resources are not affiliated to these resources. So these are these are true and authentic resources that um, that you have benefited from uh, as you, as on your rise upward. Absolutely. So I think for me, there's two things. Um, there's just really the, the community as a whole. I've been lucky to have some mentors. I've been happy to have some coaches that I've really admired over, over the years that I've been working for. And I've been blessed to work at some, some really big named companies and I've been blessed to work at some smaller companies and just been working with those communities and learning from others and having mentors who have taken me aside and, um, just really helped kind of lift me up. I really believe like there's a whole, um, you know, initiative around, you know, women and how, how the women really reach out and help each other. And I've been very fortunate to have a few women really kind of take me aside and be really big mentors for me. And That's I really awesome. hope to pay that forward as well too, and really kind of help, help the community as a whole. I think the other one that is, has been a big resource for me and um, it's, it's more around how I like to operate, which is the golden rule, treat others as I would like to be treated. And uh, when I think about the sales organization, I think about the partnership that I like to build. I mean, two core values for me are trust and respect. Mm -hmm. I want to know that the the chief revenue officer that I'm partnering with, he knows I have his back. He mm -hmm. knows I respect him and he respects me. And mm -hmm. so if we agree that we're going to hit a target. We're going to do everything we can to do it together. There's no game playing. It is, you know, as I said earlier to you, I think one-on-one, -on -one, I'm the most direct, honest person you're going to meet because I don't believe in any of those types of, of, of games. I just don't. And so to me, trust and respect are really important. And it's like treating people how I would like to be treated. And that's how I think about, you know, marketing and sales is there's a lot of stuff that happens. And I'm like, you don't need it. 
You yeah. don't need it if you can have that relationship. And if, you know, it, and I, and I really think my job is to really show the organization and, and sales that I'm fighting for them. And that, you know, if they start seeing what I'm doing, then they treat me that same way. And they know that I'm their advocate. They know that I'm the person within marketing fighting for them. And um, so that's why the golden rule is so important to me because it's how I want to live and it's how I want to work and it's how I want to play. Um, yeah. And that's being kind of that trust and just respect and be good to others. I think that's huge. Uh, you know, you know that sales and marketing has a longstanding you know, rivalry, if you will, uh, where fingers get pointed and blame gets thrown around. And, and I would say in, in poor, poorly defined teams, uh, that those things can happen and, and your attitude and your approach to how you support each other, um, is huge and, and it's really incredibly valuable for those people listening. So thank it makes you me so love much. my job. You know, I can, if you if you enjoy working with your people and there isn't that kind of, like you said, rivalry, it makes it more fun. It makes it like yeah. you love what you do. I think when that right, like who wants to feel like they're being poked at or like they're not they're not appreciated. Nobody wants that. Either no. someone wants that. So it can really just be a better environment. And I believe in that. Yeah, I think it's huge. It's a great attitude. Thank you so much, Nicole. Thank you so much for joining and sharing your story. It's been uh, a, you know, a passion project of mine. And it's so great to talk with someone who shares that passion. And uh, I'm really thrilled you could be here today. So thank you so much. Thanks for having me. It's been fun. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. If you have any questions, want to suggest topics, or have ideas for guest speakers, drop us a line at podcast at virtualintelligencebriefing.com. To learn more of our demand generation secrets, visit vibriefing.news or grab the link in our show notes.